everybody. Welcome back to the College Football Uncensored Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Tyler Huck, and with me as always, it's Chris Marler. Chris, how are things today? Why do you... It's just like our fifth month doing this, and you still refuse to call me the host. This is my fucking idea to do this podcast. Anyways, we have a I guest. So let's, in front of our guest. Just... Yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> today, we're going to get right into it. We, uh, we dropped the South Carolina preview pod, which I don't know if it could be topped, honestly. I didn't expect a South Carolina preview pod to go that off the walls. Well, I mean, we didn't get to anything that was <laughs> like worthwhile or uh, or newsworthy. It was just Stephen Garcia saying Stephen Garcia things. Yeah. So uh, today our guest is not shirtless in a bed. So thanks for putting on a shirt, Robert. Uh, we our guest today is Robert Barons from Good Bull Hunting, the Texas A and M SB Nation site. Robert, thanks for joining us tonight. Absolutely, guys. Glad to be here. Now, we'll just get right into it here. Um, nine and one last year for Texas A&M. Finished fourth in the final polls, which I believe was the highest final ranking since 1939 when you guys won the national championship. So um, expectations are high in College Station right now. Uh, still had a little bit of a slip up against Bama, but beat everybody else on the schedule. Um, you know, coming out of last year, how did the team look in the spring? I know there's, you know, the big question is you got to replace Kellen Mond, obviously. Uh, but, but how are our fans feeling about this year, um, you know, coming into camp? Um, I mean, I think the answer is everyone's super excited. I think expectations are understandably high. Um, you know, you mentioned they are going to be breaking in a new quarterback. We don't know if that's James King, who's a retro freshman or, uh, Zach Calzada, who's a retro sophomore. Um, and then the other big, question I think is probably on offensive line where they're also replacing about, I think four out of five starters. Right. But outside of that, I mean, the teams, they're bringing all their offensive skill guys back. They're bringing nine out of 11 guys back on defense. So, I mean, the pieces are there, the recruiting is there. Uh, so I think definitely expectations are guy high you know, where people are hoping and, and it's hope because, you know, AM, like you said, first time in more than 50 years that we have finished in the top four. So, you know, we're hoping to get to that perennial contender status. We know maybe we're not there yet. Uh, but I think people hope that maybe this is the year where we're not just kind of, and also ran behind Bama, but maybe we can actually challenge Bama. And that's, that's a big ask because Alabama is Alabama. Um, but if there's a year, I think this year actually lines up pretty well for us. And so, I think everyone's, you know, just chomping at the bit to get the season going. Oh, and I'm pretty sure I slept on a sewer uh, drain in Nashville <laughs> last time you guys beat us in 2012. And I wish I wasn't wearing this shirt. It was not to be disrespectful. Um, but no, like, so A&M, I feel like maybe out of every team, because it's not like Georgia where we get the same stuff every year and the 1980 comments brought up and stuff like that. You guys are a fascinating program to watch and fan base because like I said, before we started recording, um, like a lot of, a lot of ignorance on my end. Like I, I don't know all the traditions, but you guys have a shit ton of them and it's a very passionate fan base, but it's like a realistic fan base. And for whatever reason, I know that doesn't mesh well with the sec because that's not how we run uh, anything like, you know, through logic and, and reason. So I feel like A&M in, in a lot of ways, like Missouri has always gotten just like, like dismissed by the rest of the sec. The Kevin Sumlin years, like the, the year they started out in the top 10, they had to play five teams like in the top five. 
tell me why the program's different now. Cause it clearly is, but going into year four, now it's not like, you know, you have the target on your back. Now you're nine and one, you probably should have been in the playoff. Is there pressure on Jimbo and what are the expectations going into year four? Uh, so I think there are very high expectations of Jimbo as far as now pressure. I think his contract alone kind of relieves some yeah. of that because when you guarantee the guy 10 years and $75 million, he's not going anywhere for quite a while. Um, so and he could go four and eight this year and he's still, he's coming back, you know, that'd be fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you know, AM did what they had to do to get Jimbo to leave Tallahassee, you know, guaranteeing all that money was just what they had to do to, to make it happen. And we're hoping that we're going to start reaping the benefits of that. Um, so, you know, you ask kind of what is different um, and you can sit there and you can talk about, you can talk about culture. You can talk about, you know, mm -hmm. all the coach feet that Jimbo will throw out there about just doing all the little things. The standard is a standard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the, the biggest thing I would tell you is, you know, that AM, it's, it's year four for Jimbo. It's also year four bringing back the same coordinators for four years mm -hmm. in a row. That's which that never happened. That, yeah, that never happened under Kevin Sumlin. Um, and you can also look at recruiting. I know because people will say, oh, yeah, the AM recruited well under Kevin Sumlin too. Um, you know, someone was here for six years. He had two top 10 classes. Uh, Jimbo has now had three classes under his belt, all three in the top 10, and all three literally the highest rated recruiting classes AM has ever had. Like year after year? So, yeah. Well, so it, it hasn't gone like up every single year, yeah. but it's like, you look at like, if you rated every recruiting class AM has had, you know, in the past 20 plus years since they started right. tracking that sort of thing, the top three are Jimbo's three classes. That's awesome. So, I mean, so that speaks to the amount of talent that he's amassing. And, and that's what you have to do in the SEC because, you know, as you know, at Alabama, it's that, you know, when one four-star or five-star guy leaves or gets hurt, it's another four-star, five-star that's replacing him. Um, right. And so that's the kind of program you have to build. So they've kind of been slowly getting that blue chip ratio up and up and up um, and to where I think they finally have the talent that goes with the coaching stability. And so I think that's the biggest thing going into this year is that you just, it's been that slow build as opposed to in the Kevin Sumlin area, area where you had, you know, the huge blow up with, with Manziel in that first season right. and they never quite recapture that magic. I had no idea this was the fourth straight year. I, like, I don't even know as a Bama fan, what that even, what that even is. We have like just a, a broken home every single off season. So it's like, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. One of my favorite things about Jimbo Fisher too, um, is oh he's a fantastic recruiter. Don't get me wrong, but he's also an awesome developer of talent and he's got a great eye for talent. Um, yeah. you know, I can relate as a Florida state fan, you know, Xavier Rhodes was a three-star wide receiver. He pulled out of Miami, turned him into a first round cornerback. Um, Cam Irving was a three-star D lineman out of Georgia, turned him into a first round offensive tackle. So he hits on the high, highly recruited guys, but then those three-star guys, he turns into beasts as well. Um, he's known for the QB position, so we'll start there. Kellen Mond, career leader in total offense, passing yards, passing touchdowns and completions at A&M. I never felt like he was an elite guy, though, you know, outside of all that. He, he did a great job of not turning the ball over. I think only 7% of possessions ended in a turnover for A&M, which was best in the SEC, 10th nationally. Um, 
so now the eyes are on Haynes King, Zach Calzada. Haynes King, the higher-rated uh, recruit. Is there one that is doing better than the other in camp or in spring that, that they're kind of leaning towards? I would say at this point, everyone would be shocked if it wasn't Haynes King um, because everything you've heard, like the most conservative things you've heard have been, oh, it's a true competition. But that's as far as anyone will go to actually, you know, give Calzada a shot at the job. There's no one out there saying that Zach Calzada is the front runner to win the job. Um, And I think the biggest reason is, you know, part of it you mentioned is recruiting hype. People will always favor the, you know, more hyped up recruit uh, just because they know more about them. And, you know, there's more excitement around that. Not going to be smart, but yeah, everyone else, (laughs) every other logical person. Fair. (laughs) Um, But I think the other thing that really works in Haynes King's favor is he, he is really more true dual threat quarterback. Like he supposedly is legitimately one of the fastest guys on the team. And I think coming in, in a season where you are replacing four out of five offensive linemen, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's a good chance that you're going to need a quarterback that has some escapability, has some mobility and ability to kind of create things on the fly. Um, so that may ultimately be the reason why King gets the nod. Yeah, tell you what, I wasn't like stressed at all, like about like, not just the interview, but like, you know, playing A&M this season. And and you've really kind of like fucked me up with the, the whole thing about the, the coordinators. <laughs> that is not... I, I'm not going to sleep on it. I can tell you that. Um, yeah. The thing with Jimbo also is like, he's, he is, I feel like we always like throw out the phrase, like he's like a QB whisperer, a QB guru, or whatever. Like, like he's really good at developing quarterbacks. A&M, like, first off, I want to ask you as, as an Aggie and A&M guy, because I feel like I'm the only one that isn't associated with the school that's had, like had this take. Kellen Mond is underrated, right? Vastly underrated from SEC fans. And is like, I feel like his entire legacy is, is going to be like, we're going to look back 10 years from now and be like, oh, God, that guy, like, he's like in the top 10 in every single statistical category, you know, like at the quarterback position, like up there with Peyton Manning and, you know, uh, Tim Tebow, all those kind of guys. It, what he was able to do last year with the 19 touchdowns, three interceptions, and, and fi- finally put it all together was huge. I, I understand, like, replacing that is tough. I feel like the quarterback position might be the least of their worries though, because they've done such an incredible job of being able to establish the run and be a physical team, despite all of like, you know, the perceptions of him just being a quarterback guy. Yeah, absolutely. And that's part of what gives me optimism is pretty much exactly what you said, that as great as Kellen Mond was, there's no stats that you look at from last year and you say, Oh my gosh, how are you going to replace that production? Right. Because like I said, you know, only nine, only 19 touchdowns. I think it was about 2,700 yards passing. Uh, I'd yeah. be missing on that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a very not conservative offense, but I mean, it wasn't a right super vertical passing game. It was involving the tight ends a ton because Aiden has such great talent right. at the time and, and such great talent at the running back position. So they absolutely were playing to the strengths of that offense. Um, and so you, that does somewhat lead you to that pretty much exactly what you said that quarterback is, I'm not going to say it's not important because there's no way you can say that right. quarterback is not an important part of a football team. Um, but yeah, the way that that offense ran and, and, you know, we don't know for sure it's going to be the same this year, uh, but certainly talent's biggest attribute was he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't get sacks. Um, and 
you know, certainly made some great plays as well. Uh, on third down, man, that the Bama game, I know there was like, you know, a, a three score game, but him on third down, he was, he might be the best third down quarterback in the history of college football. It was <laughs> maddening to watch. Yeah. And man, that, that Bama game in particular, I actually, I went back and watched kind of the no huddle version of it here, maybe a month or so ago, just cause you kind of forget how games mm-hmm. actually unfold. And as much as, you know, that game was a blowout at the end of the game. It was tied. It might like, yeah, like there was just a couple plays, especially right at the end of the first half that well, I think we're Mon threw a pick six and then AM gets the ball back and they get to midfield and have like a fourth and three where he hits Anaya Smith across the middle and the guy just, mm-hmm. just drops it, it was wide open. And then Bama goes down to scores again right before halftime. And all of a sudden, you know, what could have easily been a tie game or a one score game at half is 21 points and it's kind of game over. Yeah. Um, and by the same token, I think y'all had, y'all had, four or five touchdowns where it was like a 50 plus yard pass. Yeah. It was a bomb, um, yeah. Where it was, yeah. And so, so you hope that by some combination of Mac Jones, Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle, not being right. there and, and hopefully our secondary taking, taking a step forward that if you can eliminate some of those like massive chunk plays, you know, I, y'all didn't just have long sustained drives against us. Um, I, I mean, it, it, you could argue it was one of the closer games of the year. Like I, like the, I'm, I told you before we started recording, I'm dog sitting for my, my best friend right now. He brought his his newborn son over the day of that game. And Bama was up 14-0. And from the moment that kid walked in the house or, or crawled in the house, y'all tied it up within like four minutes. And, and that, the relationship I have with him has never been the same. It's just, it's been really bad. <laughs> well, it sounds um, like a good <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Let's talk about the running backs because, uh, to me, the running back room is one of the best and most explosive in the country. Uh, you've got uh, I've, obviously Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller is the one that everyone knows. Power back with really good speed, rushed for almost two thousand yards over his first two years, nineteen touchdowns. But I like the guy Devin Shane. Uh, he was the Orange Bowl MVP last year. Yeah, absolute speed demon. What is his role going to be in the offense this year to to complement Isaiah Spiller? I think it's going to be really interesting to see because coming into last season, obviously a chain was a true freshman. So you, you never quite know what you're going to get out of those guys, if anything at all. Um, so early in the season, you saw a lot more of Anias Smith actually at the running back position. He, right. as the season went on, transitioned more and more back out to wide receiver, which was his original position coming into A&M. Um, so yeah, so a chain very much is that I'm not even going to call it a change of pace back but it's kind of just that second guy that can come in and, and give you a jolt um because so many times you hear about oh you've got like a power guy and a speed guy right um but i think that kind of does a disservice to both players because uh, you know spiller has some power but he's also super elusive and he he can turn on the jets when he needs to and uh, then a chain has literally sprinter level speed he's on the AM track team he was an all sec uh you know sprinter this year um but he's also not just your normal speed guy because so many times you hear about that and just guys that are just they're running jet sweeps or they're you know mm-hmm. they're catching passes. But as soon as there's contact, they're going down. The thing he's thin that shocked me. Yeah, yeah. The thing that shocked me about him last year because all you heard about you know was speed, speed, speed. But then you know every time he got the ball, he was breaking tackles or he was you know making contact and he's you know dragging guys for three yards before he goes down. Um, so certainly, I think with both of those, I mean, you have guys that either one could be a feature back. So having 
the luxury of having both of them coming on and off the field throughout the game is, I think, something AM's going to lean on heavily. This sucks. Absolutely. It's, it's, I feel like it's AM's year now. And I just, I've really, I regret even having you on this podcast. Not like in a rude way to you, you've been fantastic, but just so much doubt now. Um, you know, another thing that's interesting to me about, I feel like AM getting like just the short end of the stick when it comes to the overall perception of their program from SEC fans. And like, you know, realistically, that's not important because SEC fans are some of the most irrational people in the world. But when you have a program that, it feels like they're just quietly getting it done. You, you, you have the game where you open up the season last year against Vandy and you somehow only win 17 to 12. You have a little league baseball score and it, that's how you kick off the season. And then you go the next week and you get, you know, like you said, there was very, there are a lot of opportunities where they could have kept it close, but it ends up being a 24 point loss to Bama and they're just written off. And the rest of the season, we know Kellen Mond's name by the end of the year. I think everyone knew who Isaiah Spiller was. But that defense, that defense gave up an average, average like I think, like, giving up 280 a game. They only gave up 20 or more points once besides the bowl game. Um, somehow it was to Arkansas. Like they've silently gotten it done just like the old fashioned way in a, in a time when it's not really happening in football. Is that going to be what we see again this year with like with nine returning starters and they can just get by from like, a, just an elite defensive unit? Uh, I think. Well, I think they're going to try <laughs> um, yeah. and because like you said, bringing back that many guys from a defense that was that, that great throughout the year. Um, it's definitely going to be the strength of the team. Um, that said, it is definitely an, anom- an anomaly in mo- modern college football. Like when was the last time someone won a national title, let alone really even got to the college football playoff without pretty much having an elite level offense. Right. Um, you know, that's kind of just the way the game is played now. So it'll be really interesting to see, because like you said, this team really is, it's kind of built like an old school college football team where it's, it's built from the inside out down in the trenches. Um, it's hasn't been a super vertical, super fast paced offense mm-hmm. last year. I don't know the stats, but we had to be one of the slowest paced offenses in the country because it was like we were bleeding the play clock down below 10 seconds every 35 time. minutes a game you guys i mean that's, it was yeah. dominant that that's class jimbo that's classic jimbo though he's always been that way he was that way at florida state too that's just yeah. that's the way he believes in winning football games you know lead yeah. on your defense and and long sustained drives on offense yeah. um but when you get real weapons out at receiver he has been known to to stretch it vertically my question to you, um, everyone knows about Jalen Wardemeyer. He's probably the best tight end in the country. Um, Aeneas Smith obviously moves back to receiver. But the wild card to me is DeMond – was it Demas? Is that how you yeah, pronounce Demas. that? So former, yeah, five right. sta- former five-star, only appeared in three games last year. He didn't record any, any catches. But just knowing Jimbo's history, it's very difficult for true freshman receivers to, to make an impact – in Jimbo's offense because he, he puts a lot on them. You know, they have a lot the, the route tree is very complex in his offense. And really when you're a receiver, there's 15 different things you could do on any one play because you got to read the defense. So I'm not surprised he didn't make a big um, splash in year one, but with that size and speed, what do you expect out of him in year two, if anything? Yeah. And you touched on last year and him not really making much of an impact. And that was something that, I think AM fans are having to untrain ourselves because for the longest time, like if you got a five-star guy, I mean, he was on the field instantly. Oh yeah. 
Speedy Nolan. Um, yeah. And I mean, I can't tell you the last time we got a five-star guy that you know, wasn't pretty much immediately starting. Um, and so to, you know, go game after game, you know, it was like anytime the offense wasn't working, you'd see people on Twitter or on <laughs> calling for Devon Dean. That's when we're going to throw him out there. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think he's a guy that in year two, um, they're going to need, you know, because w- when you bring in a five-star receiver, you're expecting, yeah, sophomore year, he's going to be out there. He's going right. to be making plays, but yeah, he is one of those guys. He's a, he's a burner. He should provide a downfield threat. And I think another guy uh, that can do that same thing is Caleb Chapman, who uh, started off last year. I think he's in, he was a junior last year and tore Florida up. I think he had, like two touchdowns, like 150 yards against Florida. Uh, but then at the end of that game in the fourth quarter towards ACL. Um, oh, so he was out for the rest of the year. So he's, he's supposed to be back, supposed to be full speed by the start of the year. But those two guys in particular, both, both tall, lanky, and can outrun anyone on the field. I, I've made the mistake the past two seasons in a row saying that the breakout performer, what, like not just for A&M, but like in the entire league, was going to be Baylor Cup. And um, – like seven hours later each time he like tore something in his knee. So I think that's actually my (laughs) own fault. Um, So you just kind of touched on like the breakout players, especially on offense. Um, What, what guys do we not know about like who are not household names now? Cause I feel like this happens a lot with A&M, but by the end of the season, they will be um, whether it's offense or defense. And then we'll, you know, we'll get into some of like the actual predictions for the season. Yeah. Well, you touched on Baylor cup. That's one that I already had in the back of my mind. Uh Uh Oh, So, I mean, for the, your fingers. those that don't know, um, so, you know, people know Jalen Weidermeyer. He's coming in, like, preseason All-American, rating to some people as, like, the top tight end prospect in the country. But what people probably don't know is in his same recruiting class, Anum signed another tight end who was actually the five-star number one tight yeah. end in the country. Um, and, he, and he's, like, 6'7", 250, supposedly, like, receiver speed. I, I, you've heard nothing but rave reviews about him, but each of the past two seasons, season ending, season ending injury right. during fall camp. So I think AM fans are definitely interested to see how those two guys, assuming they're both healthy, you know, fingers crossed, um, how those guys are going to get implemented. You know, is it going to be, are they going to rotate in and out? Um, is Cup going to just be the straight up backup? Because Weidermeyer has, has definitely earned that. Um, or are you going to see a lot of like, you know, two tight end sets, which, which personally, I, I would love to see that, you know, getting both those guys on the field at the same time, whether that's both on the line or that's someone out in the slot, because ultimately it's, you know, they're some of the best weapons we have. And so I think that it's important to get, utilize those the best way we can. Um, on defense, I would say maybe uh, the name that folks may not know yet, and we hope that they get to know, uh, based on current circumstances is McKinley Jackson. Uh, he's a sophomore defensive tackle who uh, he played in a few games last year, but you know, he wasn't a starter, but was really being counted on big this year to replace Bobby Brown, who just went uh, in the NFL draft. Yeah. Uh, now Jackson actually did get to uh, have a drug arrest here in the past week. So that's just, that's, you know what, that's, that's what happens every off season. That's just, that's growing pains, man. That's good. Yeah. It's one of those, that, you know, obviously I don't know the details. I don't know what happened. So I get long-term. I have no idea how that's going to play out. The only like maybe good news is we have so far is that 
when they did the team picture last week, he was in it. And how, so many they, dr- how much drugs are we talking about here? So I think second degree that, felony. Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, based on my cursory cursory searches of, of Texas controlled substance laws, <laughs> that could mean a very broad range of things. So like it could be something really bad or it could be something that maybe culturally we all don't quite care about quite as much. Um, yeah. But it's, it sounds like the door is at least maybe open to maybe after a game or two, him rejoining the team, pending all that stuff getting worked out. But who the heck knows? Uh, but if it does, I mean, he was – and he was a guy that actually we stole from Alabama in the recruiting cycle two years ago. When that yeah, was like, we planted all those drugs on him, so you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes back around. Right. <laughs> Uh, um, real quick, um, uh, before we get into predictions on the season, um, any chance, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce Tunmize's name fully, but Shamar Turner and Tunmize at, you, you can tell me how that's pronounced Two really, <laughs> really highly rated five-star D lineman. Um, it's tough to make an impact in the sec along the line as a true freshman, but any reports on those two kids and if they could make an impact this year? Yeah. Uh, Shamar Turner in particular. So he was, he's actually a defensive end out of high school with that McKinley Jackson absence. They're actually working him inside a defensive tackle nice. in fall practice. So, and you know, just one of those, I guess when there's an opening, you try to get the five-star guy in the field when you can. Um, but, but that's one of those things that defensive line is probably ain't its deepest position yeah. on the team. Um, and, I think it, it shows the kind of depth that they have built that, you know, pretty much a like top two or three recruits. It's, it's those two guys you just mentioned on the defensive line. And then uh, Bryce Foster, who is the offensive guard. Um, and there's the expectation is that none of those guys are in the starting lineup, which as I referenced earlier, you know, three, four, five years ago at AM, even two years ago, really, you know, it's like, if you got like a five-star or a high four-star guy, the expectation was he was going to be in there. You know, if you had a top 10 class, you were thinking you've got somewhere between three to five starters in that class. So the fact that a just brought in a top 10 class and you might not see any of those guys on the field week one is kind of the testament to. Yeah, that's an ultimate flex, man. That's yeah. you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the DBs, you made a point earlier that, you know, maybe they'll step up this year. They've got the talent. I mean, Miles Jones comes back. He's a super senior this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really talented guys like Jalen Jones, Damani Richardson. Um, but I'd, I'd say maybe the one weakness, uh, potential weakness of the team is that linebacker. Um, you lose Buddy Johnson, who leading tackler on the team. Uh, he, I think he led the team in tackles for loss as well uh, and really was one of the emotional leaders on the defense. Uh, you return Aaron Hansford, who to me is like a perfect uh, example of a Jimbo guy who he was the second leading tackler. He moved over from tight end last year to play linebacker and you know ended up being second on the team in tackles. But any names to know that might step up at linebacker this year? Yeah, uh, so it sounds like uh, the biggest names as far as filling that second linebacker spot is between uh, Andre White and Edrin Cooper. Um, White's the guy, he's got a little bit more experience. He's, he's a junior. So he's had, you know, he's played, I think he's played like in over 10 games and, you know, played like some, 
surprisingly significant snaps despite not being a starter. Um, whereas Cooper is going to be a true sophomore and he's maybe the more athletic player, but also less experienced. Um, so those are definitely the two guys that I think we expect to step in there. And that's another position where, you know, even losing buddy, it's, very strange as an AM fan to feel comfortable with your linebacker depth because I feel like we spent a decade just where you just sat there and prayed. You're like, man, like if anyone gets hurt, we are just so screwed. Uh, and so, you know, this year it's like, if someone gets hurt, you're going to have another guy who's inexperienced. You might, you know, maybe even like a true freshman, true sophomore, but you at least feel decent that there's, there's talent available because literally you know, throughout the, the someone and even Sherman areas, it was like on multiple occasions we had walk-ons starting at linebacker. Oof. Oh man, that's tough. <laughs> also, I feel like, yeah. I, I mean, I'm probably wrong with this, but I feel like Damani Richardson has been at A&M since like the Clinton administration. <laughs> it has been a minute since he's been there. So, um, all right. So like I said before, I'm like very ignorant to a lot of things A&M. We, I want to hear your predictions for the season and then we're going to do, quick five minutes on some fun stuff about AM and like learn a little bit about uh, why you guys are the way you are um, and, and other things as well. So um, prediction on the season, give us like the win loss and then also a, maybe a hot take or bold prediction and the, the key game for them, which I think I know the answer to, but yeah. Um, so as you probably garnered from this whole conversation, I'm really high in a and I'm super excited. Um, we, it's kind of, this feels like the year that we've been building to um, in a lot of ways and kind of the first year of what hopefully could be a big step up for the program. Uh, for that reason, I'm going big. I'm calling undefeated season. Oh, what? here we go. Here we go. <laughs> here Wait, we on, regular go. season or like the whole season? Well, let's start with 12 and 0. We'll see where we go from <laughs> Okay. <there>. Yeah. <laughs> But and I know there's a, obviously a lot of road bumps along the way for that. Um, the biggest not that non-conference schedule. <laughs> well, no. Well, and honestly, and and I'll go through that. So that's that's part of what helps is that obviously there's the roadblock roadblock of Bama on October 9th, um, and that's that's one that I mean you just you have to overcome at some point if you want to get where you want to go. Um, so um, is Bama going to be favored in that game? Uh, of course. Uh, but this is the first time I feel like Anum maybe has the horses to make it a game. And so if, yeah. if go right, you never know. But outside of Bama, you mentioned non-conference. Anum only has, you know, it's one power five team and it's Colorado at a neutral site in Denver, uh, not, not even on campus, unfortunately. Um, and then our teams in the East, we've got South Carolina like we do every year. And we're at That's a loss. <laughs> Uh, the next time we lose to South Carolina will be the first. That's a trophy game, right? Uh, I, that is my least favorite thing in the SEC. Is it, I, like y'all came in, they're like, you know what? We're gonna do a trophy game here. Yeah. <laughs> I really got. I got to make one point though, because I, I think in a best case scenario, I could actually see it happening because yeah, I like to break down the the schedule into guaranteed or likely W's and questionable or guaranteed losses. I don't think there's any guaranteed losses on the schedule. No, nope. I think there's probably eight guaranteed to likely wins. Four toss-up games, Alabama, obviously. That at Missouri game the week after Alabama is in a tough spot. I'm not saying they're going to lose it, but that's a tough spot to go on the road the very next week after that game to Missouri, who I think is going to be pretty good this year. 
And then you got obviously at Ole Miss, at LSU. Well, hold on. You better pray that that's not like an 11 a.m. kick either. Exactly. In exactly. Como because that, like, that will put you to sleep immediately. Yeah, it's a huge letdown spot. That entire stadium is just like in the daylight. It's it's just like a, a roof of limits. It's, it's I don't know why they even play the games. They're sitting on rocks in the end zone. What's going on there? <laughs> so let me let me just throw this out there. Um, there's a lot of parallels, in my opinion, to Jimbo's start at Florida State. Oh God! First year went ten and four. Next year went nine and two. I'm sorry, nine and four. Then they went twelve and two, and they were close. They had a a senior quarterback in EJ Manuel who was really good. I wouldn't say he was elite. Uh, solid, but pretty unspectacular. They go into the 2013 season with a QB battle, two talented freshmen, Jameis Winston and Jacob Coker. And they broke through in his fourth year and went undefeated, won the national championship. And the best case scenario, Haynes King plays the part of a Jameis Winston and has an unbelievable year, realizes his upside a year earlier than maybe they expect. Um, maybe a, like a Bryce Young isn't, as talented as we're thinking he might be. Right. Bama's going to take a step back. And the defense makes enough plays. And, I, I mean, I really could see it happening. And, obviously, that's the best-case scenario. But there are a oh. lot of parallels there. Yeah. Uh, in fact, if you go to my Twitter page, literally my pinned tweet at the top of my profile is I'm pretty much outlining all that stuff, making it sound like I'm talking about A&M. And then at the end of the tweet, I say, I'm, of course, referring to Jimbo's fourth year at Florida State when they won the national title. Yeah. I hate this podcast. This is the worst episode we've ever done. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm just leaving this so insecure. Um, no, I mean, like, these are all really good points, man. And like, I, I, again, going back to the coordinators and four straight years of having this, like that kind of continuity is, it's not like just important. It's unheard of. I feel like in like today's college ball. And I tell you what, I, I mean, like, you know, some, sometimes I'm like a, a very irrational fan, like, like all the time. But I think Bama's going to take a step back, man. They have a lot, a lot to replace. And it's not just – we talk about Florida losing generational talent. I understand Bama has, like, the whole thing, like, we, you know, we don't rebuild, we reload. You're losing three out of the top five, you know, uh, finalists in the Heisman Trophy. You're losing a ton of talent and both – or actually, and the offensive coordinator. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, it could happen, man. It could happen. If you guys go undefeated and lose to Georgia, though, as as two guys that live in the state and hate Georgia – well, we shouldn't say that. Well, we shouldn't say that. Yeah, not hate. We're just you know, <laughs> dislike on Saturdays. Um, I brought up Steve Sarkeesian. I got to hear your take on the stuff with Texas. That, like that was a very, I tell you what, I was pissed as somebody like in like the you know same industry as you because that news dropped at, at the halfway point of media days when I was already tired. Um, and it's at the end of the day. So what was your initial thoughts on it? Uh, what do you think now? And don't give me like, again, college ball and censor. Don't give me like the, the coach speak. How do you sure. really feel about Texas? Um, because they, they seem like a bunch of assholes. I love Matthew McConaughey. I love Steve Sarkeesian. The rest of them kind of suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, certainly like my first reaction, like we didn't want them. Um, and that's, and, and look, this is kind of come from somebody that, because there's been all the debate over the past 10 years of like whether we should play the game and who wants to play the game and who's running from it. I always right. said, I wanted us to, to play Texas every year because, you know, I grew up an AM fan. I went there when we did play them. And, you know, that was always like, that was the game you looked forward to all year. Um, and so I always wanted to play the game. I wanted to play it as a non-conference game um, right. because, you know, so many of the reasons why AM left the big 12 centered around Texas. 
They're the and, worst. Yeah, I mean, well, because the way the Big Twelve was set up, it was it was very inequitable, and Texas, you know, had the big stick that they could swing and get whatever they wanted. Which was a, a an eight and five perennial season. Just I, yeah. I, like it confuses me. And real quick, like when you say that everything was kind of catered to them, even when the Big Twelve tried to keep them, like after this was pretty much all done, they're like, you know what? How about we we add we double your revenue? So you guys are going to be making more than everyone else. It's, just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yes. So like for me, as like as I'm trying to sell myself on it. Um, the way I sold myself on it was that all of the reasons that we wanted to leave the big 12 because of that inequity, because of that, you know, power dynamic, pretty much none of that comes with them to the sec because they're not coming. They're not getting the longhorn network that's going away. They're not getting a larger revenue share than anybody else. And I think they're going to look really stupid if they try to come in and they try to like get their way in the sec. Right. You know, like this, the half dozen other blue bud programs that are sitting here alongside of them. Um, in just football. So, yeah. Yeah. That's not even talking about baseball or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, like I was always pro playing the game. So by far the biggest perk of all this is that that game gets to come back. And I hope it's on right. campus. I hope it's, I hope it's on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, Cause that's the way it always was. And that's, if it comes back in any, any other form, it's just not going to feel quite right. <laughs> Right. Um, but I do think, I think SEC fans, it'll be interesting to see what everyone else's reaction is. Cause we obviously Aggie fans and Longhorn fans, we hate each other. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like, you know, we think that they're arrogant and condescending and they think we're just kind of weird and cultish. So <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about that too. Because yeah, we'll get- like, I wouldn't disagree with some of the surface level evidence of that. So I like, and I'm not saying this to be a dick because I've said a lot of bad stuff. You're, you seem like a great guy. Like this has been a lot of fun um, besides like, you know, putting all the insecurities and in, in you guys beating Bama this year. You got to explain a couple of the things to me because sure. like, like I love college football. I love cultural traditions and all that kind of stuff. So it's obvious like that you guys have always had one of, if not the most passionate fan bases in the country. Um, explain to me the class ring. Explain to me. Um, Tyler, what's, what's one? I just recently found out, of course, it's from Barstool, but uh, <laughs> some of the cadets grabbed their downstairs, yeah. uh, to be a part of like so they feel like they're like, like also going through pain during a game. <laughs> All the pain I feel during like tough Bama games is emotional, so like tell them to tap into that instead of just grabbing their nuts. I don't get that at all. Um, there's a couple of things that I've just like, you know, I don't you got to explain them to me. Yeah, well, okay, so the nut grabbing thing, I'll we'll lead off that one. <laughs> Let's start there. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, that's that's never been like, at least in my time there, never been a widespread thing that everybody does. Uh, Robert, we haven't seen your hands this entire entire <laughs> yeah. podcast. Yeah. I'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> that's a pretty niche dish, if there is. Uh, <laughs> my only explanation for it is AM spent about a hundred years as an all-male, pretty much all like ROTC program institution. So and fun, when you get, a, yeah. you get a bunch of dudes around each other all the time, they come up with some weird stuff. Uh, <laughs> sure. okay. so, so that's, uh, I think that's the origin of, of that is like, there's, there's no like rational way. Oh, here's how it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. If you think about can it you, this way, can you explain, 
If you, can you explain the midnight yell thing? Cause, cause I, I say this from somebody that was like, I don't want to say I was an alcoholic in college, but I just, I feel like I really did the things you're supposed to do in college. And so on a Friday night at midnight, it was going to be a tough sell to get me out of the bar to go sing songs. So also explain that one. Um, it's a mixed bag. I, and, and I will tell you, it is like when you're a freshman at AM, like, you know, you come in, you go to like fish camp, which is kind of AM's little mm-hmm. like orientation session that we do for incoming freshmen where you learn all the traditions and all the yells and everything. Um, so when you first come in, like you're super excited, you go to midnight yell like every week and it's, you know, and it is, it's really cool. It's really fun. You know, it's, it's a very a ton of people in college football. Oh yeah. It's like, you know, 30,000 people there at midnight yeah. on a Friday. Um, now it's like, as you become an upperclassman, and like you said, you are like, you're spending your weekends at the bars or at house parties. It is a much harder sell at like 11, 15 to say, Hey, like, I know we just got started, but let's like schlep a mile all the way across campus. Right. And they go to midnight now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so it, I would say it, it's a lot of underclassmen and then it's a lot of like people coming back to college station like you know, okay. you, have, you know aggie's coming in for game day and and more and more each year you're seeing a lot of visiting fans come in for game day especially especially since we joined the sec because for big 12 fans like it was old hat they were like just you know leave, leave them alone but when AM came to the sec I, and i think it was very much reciprocal on our end too like we were really excited to get to go to all these new places and experience these new game day environments and yeah. by the same time we saw so many sec fans that were excited to come to AM and figure out what the heck was going on down here. So I have heard this and I told you this on Twitter the other day and like, it wasn't just like lip service. I, I've never like, you know, actively thought about going to college station until you guys obviously joined the sec. And, and I just, it's, it's the furthest school away, you know, it's in like, you guys are grabbing your nuts and singing songs together. Like that's not really my thing anymore. Um, but like I, I've talked to, I mean, like 95% of the people I feel like I talk to about like, what's your favorite stadium? What's your favorite away venue? Like they always say, like you hear the cliche thing about death Valley at night. Cause it's death Valley at night. Every other time I feel like it's, it's Kyle field. Like Kristen Saban, it, hands down, just rave reviews about how incredible Kyle field was. Mm-hmm. Every person I talk to, it says it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, I think part of that may uh, spawn out of, you know, you mentioned death Valley. And Death Valley is one of those places that, like, when it's rowdy and it's a big game, not only is it loud, like, it's literally intimidating, I think, to Unsafe. be safe. Yeah. <laughs> like, you may not be in, like, physical danger, but you still, like, you feel that, you know, kind of yeah. the hormones, you know, going, you know, that fight or flight syndrome. I think A&M, it's, I mean, it's loud, it's raucous, but A&M also prides itself on being a very welcoming environment. Um mm. And I think Aggies are sometimes nice to a fault. And that's sometimes, sometimes where that like vibe comes off. People think Aggies are, are a little bit weird because sometimes it's like when you're, when you're that nice to people, people wonder. What it's uncomfortable. You, you said heck earlier. You said it right then. Yeah. Like, I, like yeah. that's you, you seem like a really good guy. And I wish I didn't open with the F word, like the first no. 30 seconds in. <laughs> yeah. So it's, so I think like really from a visiting fan's perspective, you can come away like loving the atmosphere but still feeling like that you weren't like the enemy. It's like the, the team on the field was, but the visiting fans weren't. Yeah, not a lot of SEC fans are gonna ever yeah. ever welcome that. And like like I mean I mean Bama fans are they're I think some of the worst. Georgia fans are barking at people all the time. It like I, I, we went to LSU Auburn two years ago, 
And it was, it was a fantastic experience. And I was like there with like some of our listeners and, and met like a lot of people and everyone welcomed us into their tailgates. We had just, you know, incredible Cajun food. And as soon as the game was over, it was the start of Bama week. And I, I was told like, just flat out, like, if this was Bama in town, like you probably wouldn't have walked out of here. And I was like, okay, well, that's, I mean, I would have ran, but it still seems kind of rude. <laughs> so. All right. Well, we got Robert. We know he's going over nine and a half wins. Chris, yeah. I'm going over nine and a half wins as well. Um, I've got pretty much all the, you know, obviously they're going to start five and zero. The Bama game is a large question, clearly. Then South Carolina, Prairie View, A&M. I think Auburn is also a pretty likely win at home off a bye, first year coach. So really from there, that's eight wins. You got to win two out of Bama at Missouri at Ole Miss at LSU. I think they can get, uh, you can, can get it done. So I'm going to go over nine and a half. Chris, what about you? I'm going to go under, I think they can go seven and five. I don't have a lot of confidence in them. I think everything goes off the rails when Bama comes to town. No, I mean like, honestly, it, it, I would be hard pressed to not say over nine and a half wins. Like the season sets up. Well, a lot of talent you've, again, you've really fucked me up with the whole coordinator thing. Um, yeah, man. Like, like I would, I would say over, I would say over and it, it could be, we said this, I think on the last episode, how it kind of feels like it's setting to be a special season for Georgia. This is kind of where you want to be. If, if you're like a team that's like, especially getting that first big season, like you were talking about, like, you know, on the cusp of that, you kind of want to be lying in the weeds. You don't want to have that target on your back, like to, to start the year. So they are going to be undefeated going to that Bama game. And that, that should be just incredible. I, I'll, I'll take the over. Well, Robert, we're gonna to have to have, a, have you on the podcast for uh, yeah. that the week of the Texas A&M yeah. Bama game for sure. No, what? Not any other week. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, I will say if you want to try to find one more loss, I I'll just throw a weird stat out there. So you mentioned Bama being at, not Bama Auburn uh, being at home, and there's a ton of reasons you know like, to think Auburn's not going to be a challenge. I've heard so many people predicting Auburn to be like down towards the bottom of the West this year, um, but if we beat them this year at Kyle field, that's the first time we've beaten them in college station since we joined the sec. Robert, there's that's like a weird, no thing. reason for you to bring that up to me right now. <laughs> After everything else you've already brought, I mean, that that's a good stat though. <laughs> I, I will say also that game in 2013, I'm still mad about it because Johnny Manziel got horse colored twice. And like, I think on the same play, thank you. I was screaming it at, at the bar. No one else was really happy about it. Cause it was like 5. That, PM. that was like, yeah, because not only did he have that horse collar, like three plays later, he injures his shoulder, and like, right. and he wasn't the same the rest of the year. That Auburn game, like, totally, like, screwed the rest of our season. So yeah, and that, that yeah, took us further, like maybe maybe another ten and two year to, like, I think it was eight and four, going into the bowl game. So, but yeah, it's like yeah, that entire A Auburn series. So we're now going into year ten since we joined the conference. Wow. The home team has won one time. Really? Huh. All right. That was that was Auburn 2018. All right, maybe we shouldn't take them so lightly then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robert. Well, hey, this has been great, man. Um, real quick, what's one restaurant I have to hit if I go to College Station? So, if you're in there on a game weekend, I would say definitely say the Dixie Chicken. It's it's primarily a bar. It's like kind of the you know most famous bar. Uh, on Northgate, which is our, our kind of bar district there, but they also have pretty decent food. So that, that's a good place to go. Um, if you're wanting just some really good Texas barbecue, uh, I would say, yes. far, uh, so that's fantastic barbecue, like easily best place in college station. Awesome. 
Okay, it. cool. Hey, where do uh, where do the listeners find you on social media? I think it's a rival uh, company you work for, but still, like, we went to my boss, just like definitely throw sure. it out there. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so I'm one of the managing editors at GoodBullHunting.com, which is uh, the Texas A&M team side for SB Nation. Uh, so you can find my work there. And then on social media, I'm almost exclusively on Twitter. You can find me there at RCB05, or you can just search by my name, Robert Barrett. Awesome, man. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. And yeah, uh, best great. of luck and uh, congrats on the win over Bama in week. Looking forward Six. to it. <laughs> Have a good one, man. All right, guys. Thanks.